You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. In the year 177, he died. The world doesn't even know when or where he was born or even how old he was when he died. But you've all experienced the effects of his life. His name is Melito of Sardis. As the scriptures that you hold in your hand are being written and formed into the canon of scripture, Melito of Sardis, he was right there. He held a prominent place among the second century bishops in Asia due to his personal influence on Christianity and his literary works. But sadly, most of those are lost. But what has been discovered has provided incredible insight into Christianity during the second century. Two of the most prominent things about Melito of Sardis was the way he stood up against the emperor for Christians. Second would be his work in the Old Testament. In fact, he gave the very first Christian list for the canon of the Old Testament, the books that are there. He compiled the earliest known Christian canon of the Old Testament. In fact, the term Old Testament is credited to Melito of Sardis. When people talked about him and wrote about him, they often said that his life mirrored the Apostle John. But probably his greatest work was not really even in the Old Testament. Or being able to live as the Apostle John, his greatest work was something else that he wrote. In just these few words that he wrote, he captured the crucifixion of Jesus. Let me read them for you. And so he was raised on a cross and a title fixed, indicating who it was that was being crucified. Painful it is to say, but more terrible not to say. He who suspended the earth is suspended. He who fixed the heavens is fixed. He who fastened all things is fastened to the wood. The master is outraged. God is murdered. So tonight, this is what we've come to reflect. This is what we have come to think about. The one Melito Sardis captured so well with his pen. So tonight, I want to direct our attention to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. In fact, the account of Jesus' death, it is often very familiar to us. But there in the familiarity is something that is truly shocking. What is interesting that all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they get to the death of Jesus, the moment that the Son of God will be offered up as a sacrifice, the moment that Christianity hinges on, when they get to the moment of Jesus agonizing what He has been agonizing over for days, when they get to the moment that caused darkness to fill the earth in the middle of the day, when they get to the moment that caused the earth to to shake when they get to the moment that ripped the four-inch veil of the Holy of Holies. The event that caused dead men to come out of the grave 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they say in verse 35, and when they crucified him, they just simply say, and they crucified him. Why would Matthew, who uses over 18,000 words in his gospel, when he gets to the moment that Jesus, the very Son of God, lays down his life, he simply says, and when they crucified him. Why would Matthew use only six words to describe the moment that Jesus let evil do whatever it wanted to him, and then he forgives it? I believe it's because Matthew wants us not to focus on how he was crucified, but why. And to see this, I want us to look back at one man. To see this man, we need to rewind a little bit in Matthew chapter 27, where Jesus is on trial before Pilate. See, Pilate doesn't want to be the one to sentence this man, Jesus, to death, so he comes up with a plan. It was tradition that during the Passover, a prisoner would be released. We read about this in Matthew 27, beginning in verse 15. It says, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release to the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And when they did this, and when he, then he had a notorious prisoner called Barnabas or Barabbas. When they had gathered, Pilate said to him, whom do you want to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? See, Barabbas, he wasn't just an ordinary, common criminal. In fact, he's described in the Gospels as a murderer, a rebel, a leader of riots against the Romans, and he was famous. Everyone in the region knew him. Barabbas was a rebel. One that led uprisings against the Roman Empire. The same crime that the chief priests and the elders are accusing Jesus of. You see, Barabbas was an activist. He was the son of a rabbi that grew up. He wanted to come to power. In fact, it was thought that one of the riots that he was leading, that he killed a man, and that's what landed him on death row. Barabbas was now condemned to die. He was a rebel against the law, a robber, a murderer, under the sentence of death. He's not on probation. He's under doom. He's not awaiting trial, but an execution. And when we are introduced to him, there he is, counting down the moments until he's put to death. So imagine him in this cold, dark, damp cell. There's no more appeals. There's absolutely no one else that can help him. He is utterly beyond hope. He's committed evil acts and now he must pay for them. Barabbas knows exactly what the next morning will bring. He's witnessed enough Roman uh, crucifixions. He knows that before him is an awful and humiliating public death. He knows what it means, the long hours of unspeakable agony. His hands and his feet being torn by spikes. His wrist and shoulder joints dislocated from the dragging weight of his body. Each quivering nerve, a separate torture itself. With the burning and unquenchable thirst. And all the people watching this happen as he hangs there 
humiliatingly naked. He's seen enough crucifixions to know that the pain will be so intense that he will be begging to die. The only question for him remains is simply when. And he lives with this pending doom for days, maybe perhaps weeks. He wakes up each and every day wondering, will this be the day? Then the day comes. And he receives word that three spots are being prepared for three crosses, and one of those is his. In fact, because of his crimes, they are reserving the center cross specifically for him. And at that morning, he would make his way to the top of Golgotha to die a humiliating, excruciating criminal's death. And he lives with this impending doom all day. The night falls. But it is a disturbing night, I imagine, with no sleep at all. I mean, how could you sleep knowing what is just a few hours away? The painful thing that you're about to go through, imagining the humiliation that only ends in death. I imagine him there in that cell, pushed as far back from that door as he can possibly get. Imagine him pacing back and forth in his cell when he hears the sound of that jailer. Imagine his senses being magnified as he's sitting there. That night probably felt like an eternity for him. Now imagine he wished that morning would absolutely not come. But he knows he is totally beyond hope. And as the night moved on, I imagine him pressed up against that thick jail wall where he can kind of only vaguely hear people outside imagining what it would be to be free. Then about two in the morning, perhaps he hears a commotion outside. But he can't tell what it is. Perhaps another criminal has been caught. But then early in the morning, when those hours begin to give way, I imagine his anxiety is barely controllable. But then he begins to hear footsteps. Perhaps a clanging of the soldier's sword against his armor. The key as it goes into that lock of his cell. I imagine him as far away from that door as he can get. That prison door swinging open. And he knows they are about to put him in chains and lead him to his death. But then all of a sudden, to his surprise, a soldier doesn't come in after him. Instead, he stands at the door, and as Barabbas hides his face from the early morning sun, the soldier says, get out. You're free. Someone else is going to be taking your place today. I imagine Barnabas thought, or Barabbas thought that he was dreaming. Maybe that he was even so overtaken by fear that he was hallucinating. After several long moments, slowly and cautiously making his way to squeeze past that jailer. And as he got closer to that prison door, that he probably began to run just in case they changed their minds or maybe this was just a cruel joke. And we never hear anything else from Barabbas. Nothing. We never hear from him again. So I want to tell you what I think. 
what I imagine that he does. Because I believe Barabbas wants to see the reason that he's free. He wants to see the one who is going to be taking his place, the one that gave him his full freedom back. Can you imagine what it was like for him? He had went through the court system, been found guilty. He was so guilty, he received a death sentence. In the morning of his execution, he's told that someone else is going to die in your place. I believe he would have had to have known who this man was. Barabbas would follow the crowd, maybe perhaps trying to get closer, to get a, a look at the man that saved his life. Maybe perhaps wondering how evil his crimes were that they took his place. He could have followed the crowds outside the city all the way to the top of that mountain called the Skull. There is a man laying down. He could probably only see the bottoms of his feet as he laid upon the cross. Perhaps it wasn't until the sound of the hammers driving in the nails stopped and the cross that should have been his was raised that he saw the face of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Barabbas was now looking straight into the eyes of an innocent man. A man that did not deserve to die for his crimes. Barabbas was standing before a man that had set him free. In fact, the truth is, Barabbas could no longer be tried for his crimes. He was completely forgiven and his record wiped clean. Barabbas has just experienced grace. But we never really hear what he does with that reality. But here's what Matthew, I believe, wants us to see. When we see Jesus being crucified on another man's cross, when we see Barabbas set free as Jesus takes his place, we are to see that we are Barabbas. We are the rebels. We are the thieves. We are the guilty. We are the ones that stand condemned. And Jesus takes our place and sets us free. We are the ones who were in chains and enslaved to sin. And Jesus takes our sin upon himself as if it was his very own. Jesus takes on our sin and he turns around and he gives us his righteousness. We're here tonight to remember and to reflect upon Jesus setting us free at the cost of his own life. The innocent had to be declared guilty so that the guilty could be declared innocent. That we are Barabbas. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.